Hello, Wildcats. Welcome to the 2020 Hungry Jacks NBL Andrew Days MVP Gala Awards. What a mouthful. Tonight, the MVP, who's it going to be? Oh, gee, that's a tough one. I think there's so many guys that deserve it. It's hard to look past Bryce. I think Reese Vague from the Wildcats, he should be getting it. That's in, in my book, so we'll see what happens, yeah. I think they'll give it to Bryce. I think he deserves it. You know, he's always um, always competing, always playing well each year, and I think uh, he's been, been snubbed a couple of years, so it'll be good to see him uh, hopefully get it tonight. But I think Scotty Machado is definitely in for running. been an amazing experience to be here in the NBL. The talent in this league is incredible. It's going to a, another dimension. Everybody knows about the NBL now, so it's great to be a part of it. We've built something. We started a new culture, and I'm just so happy that, you know, we got to put a piece of, of history in the books. And, you know, we still got more work to do, um, but I like the way we started and finished this regular season. Uh, the winner of the Andrew Gaze MVP is Bryce Cotton from the Perth Wildcats. It's always uh, great to be recognized for the work that you do, and there was a lot of great candidates this year, but um, it, it feels great, honestly. I, I really don't know what else to say other than that, but uh, we still got more work to do, but I'm going to enjoy it tonight. Hey everyone, how you doing? It's good to be back in your airwaves after a week off air. I hope you guys have had a nice break as the NBL has taken a little break as well. But this week we're going to be coming back at you. And the NBL this week, you know, they were celebrating. They were celebrating awards. They were celebrating the efforts of our players this year. And they were doing that at the Gazies. So the Open this week is one of celebration. Celebration and congratulations. A big congratulations to Bryce Cotton for winning the Most Valuable Player Award for the second time in three years. MVP, MVP, MVP. So Bryce finished the NBL 20 regular season as the NBL scoring leader, averaging 22.6 points per game, along with four rebounds, 3.8 assists a game, all whilst leading the Cats to a 19-win season and their 34th consecutive final series appearance. And it's been fantastic. All the media feedback since Bryce has won the award has been awesome. He's been doing little bits and bits and pieces out there. I know the Wildcats stores just recently opened, so he was down there promoting that. And uh, the great, amazing Grace, Ricky Grace, was there as well, giving him mad props. So, look, that was awesome to see. So the 27-year-old Bryce Cotton led the league for scoring and steals with 1.74 steals per game. So that was 22.6 points per game and 1.74 steals per night, becoming the first player to achieve this feat in the entire history of the NBL. So all 41 years of the NBL, Bryce is the first guy to do this. So BC joins Scott Fisher, Robert Rose, Chris Ansley, and Kevin Lish as two-time MVP winners, with only Lenny Loggins and Andrew Gaze having won it more than twice. So as you can see here, some really elite NBL company for Bryce. And Bryce is the first Wildcats player in the Wildcats' long, long history to be a multiple MVP, which is incredible to think that a club that has had so much success has only produced one multiple MVP winner. So that's a testament to the team and the Cats and the culture, and I've been through that already. But you guys, that just shows how well this team works together, how much of a team effort it is, and you don't get to 34 consecutive finals if you don't play as a team. 
And this is just a little tidbit as well, just to show you guys how great Bryce is himself. So I sent him a congratulatory DM on Instagram and he actually hit me back whilst at the awards night, which was just a pretty cool feeling. So knowing that the guy who's currently the best basketballer in the country takes time for his fans on his big night to share the love, that right there is what embodies the essence of Bryce Cotton. A man from Tucson, Arizona, winning Australian basketball's biggest award and sharing it with the people. So he's a true legend of our game. That's for sure. So along with Bryce as well, an extra congratulation has to go to Nick Kay. And they were both selected in the NBL first team for the second year in a row now. Nick Kay and Bryce Cotton exemplify Wildcat basketball and their approach to their respective games. They put in a whole season of work. Nick Kay finishing the year unbelievably well himself with a string of five back-to-back 20-plus point games. Huge effort. But for Nick, it's a reward for his amazing season, averaging 15 points at 53% shooting from the floor, and that's 45.6% from deep. So a great, great click he's shooting that at. So you know we're always a good chance when he does follow through on that pump fake and lets the thing fly. He also led the Wildcats in rebounding, and he was seventh in the league for boards with an average of 7.6 per game. So the board man gets paid. And he also dished out 3.1 assists to help his team generate more offense. So both Nick Kay and Bryce Cotton are under contract for the NBL 21 season and they'll look to go back to back to back in the NBL first team next season. But before we get there, we need to defend the ship and get to our 10th ring. Nick Kay and Bryce Cotton are going to be instrumental in the result of the upcoming series against the Taipans. But it has to give us some confidence knowing that two of the best five players in NBL 20 will be pulling on the red and defending the jungle this NBL 20 playoffs. And I can't wait. It's NBL royalty in Cats uniform. Give it up for Nick Kay, and now your two-time NBL MVP, Mr. Bryce Ice Cotton. Water can take any form. It drifts without effort one moment, then pounds yeah. down in the front the very next. I'm in my own pond, but they want me in the mainstream. Don't know why they want to hear more of the same thing. Water can crash or flow. My songs do the latter. You're up to bad stuff? Well, I'm up to batter. So I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, the open there because I had a lot of fun bringing it to you. It was a lot of fun to review our boy Bryce's season. I had that Wildcat MVP merch sent over as well. So I just received that on my birthday this last weekend. So it was a little good present to myself. But I highly recommend you guys go and check out the merch on the team side as well because it's really good stuff out there. I don't, I don't get anything from it, but it's really cool to see people rocking the Wildcats. But look, in this segment, guys, we're going to be doing a recap of the Gazies. So we didn't have any basketball this week, oh, unless you're looking at the Boomers and New Zealand Boomers Hong Kong games, which were, were interesting to say the least, but we won't touch on those. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through a segment now which recaps the NBL's Night of Nights. It's the NBL Andrew Gaze Award Night presented by Hungry Jacks, and it was announced on the night that Hungry Jacks have signed on for another three years. It's great news for the sport to have Hungry Jacks as a backer in this league. A lot of free burgers given out this season, and now we can enjoy that promo for three more years, hopefully. But enough of that, and on to the awards night itself. For you guys who didn't catch it, we're going to take a look at how the votes were dispersed. Who won the awards? And who was a bit stiff to miss out on accolades? So let's crack into this, starting with the big award itself, because we've already touched on the MVP winner. So the MVP votes went this way. Bryce Cotton won it with 88 votes. Scott Machado coming second with 80 votes, so an eight-vote difference. And then Lamar Patterson of the Brisbane Bullets receiving 73 votes. So that's your one, two, three there, guys. So when I'm looking at the MVP voting numbers, the votes ended up a lot closer than I initially anticipated. Only eight votes separating Cotton and Machado, 15 votes separating first-place Cotton and third-place Patterson there. I find this very interesting, as in my opening, I previously stated that there has never been a player in NBL history to lead the league in points and steals for an entire season. When a player is able to do that, it tells me that this is an all-round complete player. Peak offense and peak defense, all whilst playing the most minutes of game time in the league. He did everything this season, 
and I understand that Machado was helpful to pull up this Cairns Taipans team from despair to the playoffs. However, this is an individual award, and individually, Bryce has been out of this world this season and what he's been able to bring to the Wildcats himself. The best shooting guard in the league is double-teamed almost every possession, but finds a way to protect the rock and generate a good offensive playset. I'm not sure Machado has received the attention Bryce has on the offensive end, and I can safely say he didn't generate the defense that Bryce managed to this year. Bryce himself crediting six-time Defensive Player of the Year Damian Martin for his increase in defensive production. Machado receiving the Fans MVP award, an award Cotton was given last year when he was robbed by Bogut, but like, look, no, I'm not going to let the NBL get away with that one. That was egregious. But the Fans MVP vote is turning into this consolation prize, and I hope it isn't what it's been brought in for. But for the time being, the Wildcats now have a multiple-time MVP winner, and he's our starting shooting guard. He's number 11. He's Bryce Ice Baby Cotton, and the result is in the book. I'm happy, so let's roll on to Rookie of the Year. And with our Rookie of the Year, the winner was LaMelo Ball with 49 votes, beating out Kowatnoi with 44 votes, and then RJ Hampton with 23 votes coming in third. So I called it in this one. We squeezed the absolute last drip of the LaMelo Ball hype experience. We gave him Rookie of the Year after only playing 42% of the season. He received the award after beating Kowatnoi by five votes, and I have to say I'm very happy to see that the votes were closer than I expected. Kawhi has been phenomenal this season. In this, his rookie year, he only received a one-year contract. He struggled with injury, only playing 18 games, which is 65% of the season, those of you checking. However, he was a starter for a playoff team in all of those 18 games. A playoff team. Not bottom of the ladder Hawks, third on the ladder Cairns Taipans. LaMelo Ball has the whole world ahead of him. An NBL top five pick, millions and millions of dollars, the NBA lifestyle, Kawhi doesn't even have a guaranteed contract to play basketball next year, but Kawhi came out and played that way. He balled out, and he's going to be a hot asset in free agency this year. Whoever can lock up Kwat's services will be primed for a big run in NBL 21. I do hope he gets paid next year. He had an NBL 20 season high of 22 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists, 5 three-pointers made in a game, and he averages 11 points per game on 42% shooting, 36 from the arc, 7.4 rebounds, and 1.5 assists, all whilst playing 26 minutes of the potential 40. So he ups his minutes, he gets bigger. You don't know how good he's going to be. He could be a candidate for most improved player next year, and he's already averaging 11 points per game. Fairly productive from the young forward, if you ask me. Look, and I understand that LaMelo had a better season when you look at the artificial box score. That being when you look at only points, rebounds, and assists. But when you dig a little deeper, you can see how unproductive he really was this season. Look, don't get me wrong. I loved his game. I loved watching him. But he also shot 37% from the field and 24% from three-point land. That's atrocious. Seven three-point shots per game at 24%. Horrible. If Kwatnoi shot seven three-points per game, he would make just under three three-pointers a game. Melo only made one of these seven attempts. So seven times in the game, Melo's chucking the ball up, he's making one. That's just not good enough. How can you expect to win with your highest usage player shooting the ball that poorly? Look, it doesn't matter. And when he's drafted on draft day, the NBL is no doubt going to be mentioned on the biggest stage in basketball, the NBA. So good job, Jeremy, for the marketing job. But it's all done now. So let's rerun this and give the award to Kwatnoi. All right, now we're running through the six and onto our six man of the year award. And here we go. The king of diamonds with diamonds I never do ask for it. They check in my passport I'm too accustomed with customs You call in the task force I killed it, somebody cuff them They want me to fast So the six man of the year award was won, very, very surprisingly, may I say, by Jason Kadee with 31 votes, to Daniel Kickett with 28 votes, to your boy Will Magnate with 26 votes in third. 
Okay, and this genuinely confused me. I didn't even have Jason Kadee as a legitimate nominee. Who does he know on the voting committee to get this award? Seriously. He must sleep at the foot of Jeremy's bed every night or something because even Clint Steindl was better than him this year. And I had Clint as my third favorite in this one. But how the hell did Eric Griffin not win this? Not only that, but he wasn't even voted in the top three for six man of the year. Okay, NBL, I'm just going to do a little digging. And if you feel embarrassed, that's on you. So Eric averaged 14.6 points per game, which was 22nd in the league. 22nd in the league for a guy off the bench. Not bad. Shooting the ball at 54%, over 50%. Really good. 6.4 rebounds and 1.3 blocks per game. That 1.3 blocks per game was good enough for fourth best in the NBL. And this all came in 23 minutes of game time, showing he's getting it done on both ends with his points and his blocks. Jason Kadee, on the other hand, averaged 11 points per game. So that's 31st in the league. So remember, Eric Griffin's 22nd. Shooting the ball at 45%, Eric Griffin, 51 He had 2.2 rebounds per game and 2.5 assists. So these guys play different positions. You can't really compare that stat. All right, so Griffin outplayed him offensively. And I'm going to assume that Jason Gaddy had a better year defensively than Griffin. So let's look at that number. So they played the same amount of games. Kadee, who was an on-ball defender, so of this nature of the role, he should really have a higher steals per game than Eric Griffin. Nah, Jason averaged 0.6 steals per game. Eric Griffin, 0.75 steals per game. Oh, and I mentioned that Eric Griffin is fourth in the league for blocks, right? This guy who plays off the bench, generates 15 points per game, and is one of the best defensive weapons in the league, didn't win six man of the year. It's absurd. This award wasn't even televised. They really tried to slip this one past us. It was really rubbish by the NBL on this one. Eric saw it as well, commenting on the NBA Insta post with a shrugging emoji. So really, come on NBL, we've got to treat our top players right. Hop, skip and jumping onto our most improved player of the year and jumping into that. Your boy that came third in the sixth man of the year, Will Magne wins most improved player with 53 votes, beating out other young big Dame Pinot with 49 votes. So four votes, the difference there. To third, and this is who I really wanted to win the award, was Sunday Deck Vibes or Mr. Vibes. And he had 27 votes. So the most improved player was awarded to Will Magne, as I said. And I'm glad Will won this award as he was clearly snubbed at the Defensive Player of the Year award. So Will has recently signed a new two-year deal with the Bullets, much like after Matt Hodgson did last year after his breakout season. He didn't want to test free agency. He just jumped straight in with another big contract. But look, if I was him, I wouldn't have re-signed. And that's nothing against the Bullets. But he's young and he's talented. I would have tested the market in free agency, see what I could have got. He's a newly appointed boomer. His stock is on the up. He's, he's getting look-ins from NBA teams, but now he's signed away and locked up. And congratulations to the Bullets for doing so. That's a great move by the team and a great move by the NBA to keep the talent around. But yeah, maybe test the market next time. Very interesting. Very interesting move. Let's, let's watch this space with Will Magne for next season. But my wishful pick for this award was our podcast favorite SDV, Sunday Deck Vibes. And Vibes had an amazing breakout season. And I don't think that the 27 votes truly reflected how good he was this season. This Hawks team was undermanned, injured, and abandoned. They were abandoned by their highest usage player, LaMelo Ball. They also had nightmares with imports this year, with Aaron Brooks' season-ending injury hurting them as well as Billy Preston being a flop. The constant for the Hawks throughout the entire season was SDV. Sunday defensively picking up most of the dangerous guards in the league every time the Hawks came against opposition. And then Sunday trying to work hard on his offensive production as well. He increased his points per game from 1 point to 8.64 in NBL 20. On the contrary, Will increased his points from 1.55 to 8.55. So pretty similar there. But points per game wasn't the reason why Will won this award. The Lord of the Lane won this award because he led the league in blocks with 2.17, which was an increase from 0.33, a massive, massive increase. He not only led the league, but he was heads and shoulders above the rest of the competition in this stat. 
no one getting remotely close. Not even Andrew Bogut in his MVP year was as productive regarding blocks as Will Magnet has been in NBL 20. But dudes, that's why there's a Defensive Player of the Year award. Will was more than deserving of most improved player. I don't want to knock that because it's great that he got it. But seriously, his defensive plays have been peppered throughout the NBL 20 top 10 highlights this year. And talking about defense, we may as well hit on that award now. So congratulations, Will Magnet, for winning the most improved player. We're going to jump onto the Defensive Player of the Year. And the Defensive Player of the Year was awarded to DJ Newbill. And DJ picking up 46 votes in this one. Will Magnet coming second with 42 votes. Andrew Bogut finishing third with 33 votes, which was whatever. So after hearing the rap on Will Magnet's defensive game this season, you would have thought that he was a lock for Defensive Player of the Year, right? Wrong. He came second. He came second after dominating this league defensively all season. He came second to DJ Newbill though, who I really like as a defensive player, and I had him as a viable candidate for the award. That being said, what did he do so amazingly defensively this year? He was fourth in the league for steals with 1.33, that's a good stat, but he wasn't a standout in the defensive stat department. Cairns weren't an amazing defensive team as a whole either, ranking fourth best in the NBL, Perth ranking first, so it can't be for that reason. It could have been that he played the third most minutes in the NBL this season and picks up the opposition's best guard in every contest, but Bryce played the most amount of minutes of game time this season and led the league in steals. So did DJ even have a better defensive year than Bryce, who wasn't even nominated for this award? This one didn't make a lot of sense to me. Will Magnet was a defensive beast and the NBL missed a beat on this one. So this one isn't a long summary. I just don't get it. Look, congratulations DJ Newbill. Great job in picking up the Defensive Player of the Year award, an award that Damo Martin has won time and time again. DJ does have the tenacity that Damo has, and I can see that. So it's great to see another player like him win the award. It's star time at the Apollo Theater. So what we're going to do now is jump onto our All-NBL teams and their announcements. And what we might do is, yeah, we'll kick it off with our All-NBL first team. And I will announce the All-NBL first team for you guys. All-NBL first team, there are two inside players and three outside players. So outside players are being those who predominantly play on the outside. Inside, they play inside the key more often. It's where they get a lot of their usage, a lot of their shots. It's where they tend to operate. So the two inside players in the All-NBL first team were just Sean Tate with 31 votes and Nick Kay with 30 votes. Great job, Nick Kay. The three outside players in the All-NBL first team were Scott Machado with 46 votes, Bryce Cotton with 44 votes, and Lamar Patterson with 43 votes. All right, so on to the NBL first team. And firstly, congratulations to all our NBL first teamers. For full transparency, before the announcement, I selected my NBL first team, the Cool Cats Corners NBL first team, as Scott Machado, Bryce Cotton, Scotty Hobson, Ja'Shawn Tate, and Cam Oliver. So I was three of five in my NBL first team. The two I missed on were Nick Kay and Lamar Patterson. Look, I've already done the Lamar v. Scotty debate for you guys on the last podcast, so I won't do that again. But I will say that if there weren't three outside and two inside player requirement that is for these NBL first teams, and it was done on votes alone, the NBL first team would have actually read Scott Machado, Bryce Cotton, Lamar Patterson, Scotty Hobson, and Ja'Shawn Tate. So props are due. So I did pick four of the five highest vote getters this season. So picking, picking the talent at least, which is good. And something that I have noticed, however, is that Machado did receive more first team votes than Cotton. Really? So who's a better shooting guard in the league than Cotton? Who in the world wouldn't have voted Cotton as first team this year? Lordy, we need to change some of these voters. But yes, congratulations to the inaugural NBL first teamers, Scott Machado and Ja'Shawn Tate. Hang around in the league, you guys, and you're a chance for a few more. And a congratulations to Nick K, Bryce Cotton, Lamar Patterson, who are now back-to-back NBL first teamers, firstly in NBL 19 and now NBL 20. 
run it again. So let's jump into our All-NBL second team. In our All-NBL second team, we have our two inside players, that being Cam Oliver with 27 votes and Andrew Brogan with 23 votes. Scotty Hobson is an outside player with 34. DJ Newbill outside 26. And Casper Ware with the lowest vote getting, sneaking into the second team with 16 votes. And finally, guys, so for this segment, we just ran through that NBL 22nd team. And again, for full transparency, who I selected for the Cool Cats corner, I selected John Robeson, DJ Newbill, Lamar Patterson, Mitch Creek, and Nick Kay in my NBL second team. And obviously, voters forgot about the first half of the season because not only did they not put John Robeson in an NBL team, they didn't select Mitch Creek, who for 75% of the season was an MVP favorite. So I'm perplexed. No Mitch Creek. Mitch Creek had a fantastic year navigating this Southeast Melbourne team through its inaugural season. Mitch Creek played the second most minutes in the league this season, averaging 20.4 points per game on 48% shooting, very tidy, 7.2 rebounds, 3.3 assists, and 1.16 steals per game. So that's just a stat sheet stuffer right there. That's an incredible season regardless of where your team finishes. If you're going to give Lamelo Ball the rookie of the year for the first half of the year, at least remain consistent and put Mitch Creek in an all-NBL team. I wonder how many players who average 20 points per game haven't made an all-NBL team at the end of that year. Well, I know at least two. Along with Mitch Creek, teammate John Robeson also averaged 20 points per game this season for Southeast Melbourne while shooting 10, 10 three-pointers a game at an amazing 44%. That's insane. He made over 110 three-pointers this season, first in the NBL, which was more than any other player. Southeast Melbourne really only had Creek and Robeson. At the very least, one of their efforts should have been recognized in an NBL 20 team. And then moving on from this, guys, as I already said, I had to decide between Hobson and Patterson for my NBL first team. And I'm happy Scotty's efforts were at least recognized in the second team. But as I previously mentioned, Scotty Hobson was the fourth highest vote getter. Unfortunately, Scott Machado, Bryce Cotton, Lamar Patterson clearly outscored him for that third outside position in first team. But look, we got to move on from that. And one, one little, 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 little final comment from the NBL second team announcement. How is Andrew Bogut in this team? Like how in the absolute world? Why do we continually appease this dude? Who cares? He was soft this year and he shouldn't be rewarded for it. If you want to look at two players, let's look at another guy who was actually in this NBL second team, and that's Cam Oliver. Cam Oliver had an incredible inaugural season in the NBL. Cam Oliver averaged 16.6 points per game on 53% shooting, good for 14th in the NBL. That was along with 9.1 rebounds per game, second in the NBL, and 1.64 blocks per game, good for second behind Will Magne in the NBL. And he also showed a ton of passion and energy for his snakes every single game. Cam left it out there and he's doing this all 30 minutes of the time he's on the court in every single one of the 28 games this season. Bogut, on the other hand, had a lackluster season. And if you're going to judge Bryce on his previous seasons in the NBL and say he has to meet these certain criteria because he's already done these things before, then why not do the same for Bogut? Bogut had a career bad year this year, resting for three games, which was just weak. He averaged 8.24 points per game on 59% shooting, half as many points as Cam Oliver. 8.8 rebounds, not even best on his own team. Xavier Cooks receiving 9 rebounds a game. 2.7 assists per game, so I thought he was this amazing passer. Evidently not, so we can stop the chat on that. And 1.43 blocks, which is less than Oliver's 1.64. And that's supposed to be his best category. All of this in only 21 minutes of game time. So, if anything, he's NBL first team all miserable after the tragic year that he's had. But well done, NBL. You found another way to reward this guy. But we do need to be a little bit better than this. And I just read you guys some stats to compare you what should be an NBL first team, a second team, or what shouldn't be. Hopefully, you guys can decipher between the two. Anyway, anyone that wants to debate me and say that Bogut should be there, I'd love to talk it out with you. I need someone to honestly try and argue Andrew Bogut into this all-NBL second team because 
I can't do it in my own head. And having him in the second team was a disgrace. And I know you guys didn't announce the second team on the night because I do think it would have been met with boos. So in summary, to summarize the awards night, we made Andrew Bogut happy. Will Magnate's historic defensive season really should have been validated by a Defensive Player of the Year award, but he got the most improved player, so eh. The Lamelo Ball marketing campaign is officially over and Kuatnoi is Oda Rookie of the Year. And Bryce Cotton finally received his second MVP award, no matter how close the voters try to make it. So all in all, it was a great night and I really can't wait till next year's. So cheers and good on you, Bryce. Okay, cool cats. It's finals time. We're there again. We're second on the ladder. So we have got the Cairns Taipans. So let's break down this best of three game series between the Perth Wildcats and Cairns Taipans. And I think it'll be a lot easier for reasoning to break this series down to four arguments. So the arguments we're going to be speaking about are these. The analytics argument, the series argument, the positional argument, and the experience argument. So analytics, series, positional experience. And once we've gone through these arguments, you guys will have a great idea about what to expect from this series and maybe where to lay a couple of cheeky dollars. Only if you feel that way. The analytics argument, guys, let's kick it off with that. So firstly, the Wildcats aren't flashy when it comes to stats compared to the rest of the league. But when you really analyze the analytics, you realize how the Wildcats make teams change their game styles, which ultimately results in poor play from the opposition team. So as part of my analytical argument, let's look at the stat regarding two things. And this stat's from um, Real GM. You can jump on there, search the NBL. There's a lot of cool stats on there. But I'm going to be looking at two things, pace and turnovers. So firstly, let's kick it off with pace. And the pace that Perth play basketball is very slow. And what do I mean by that? Well, it means that Perth do not get up as many shots as the opposition teams. But this isn't necessarily a bad thing. As you may think, not getting up as many shots as the opposition teams results in not as much scoring. I can see where the logic lies. But the reason Perth have a slow pace is due to the way their patient offense is set up as they ensure they get good looks no matter what the time is in the shot clock. So the shot clock is 24 seconds long and quicker paced teams will shoot earlier in the shot clock to ensure additional chances to score afterwards. However, if you're a well-drilled defensive and offensive team, you don't really need the extra possession. You just need to ensure that you execute your game plan effectively and that ensures your productivity. But what's brilliant about the Wildcats play is that the Perth Wildcats force opposition teams to play at their pace. Well, actually, it's a bit slower than the Wildcats pace, which is pretty impressive. So the Wildcats have handled the ball up the court 2,115 times this season. In comparison, the Wildcats defend the opposition 2,106 possessions back up the court. So as you can see, there's a difference of about nine possessions. And this is beneficial as it means that the Wildcats are getting extra possessions of each of their game, and these extra possessions are being generated through offensive rebounding and tight defense. To demonstrate just how slow Perth are, Cairns have handled the ball up the court 2,300 times over the 28 games in NBL 20. Perth with roughly 200 less possessions this season than Cairns. 200 less. So what's that over 28 games? So 200 divided by 28, that makes it Cairns usually have seven more possessions than the Wildcats every single contest. And I know what you're thinking. That has to be beneficial to your team to have seven more opportunities to score. Well, yes and no. Cairns currently average 92.4 points per game this season. The Wildcats only 90.3. That's a difference of 1.9 points from that seven extra possessions. So you can see how it's not exactly productive. And then on the offensive side of the things, it's a double-edged sword. Because when you're picking up the pace, you also have to play more defensive possessions. And that's the opposition getting the opportunity to get off more shots. 
So as Cairns shoots seven more attempts in the Perth Wildcats each game, that means they also need to defend an additional seven more times. This has resulted in them conceding 91 points per game. So for those of you counting along, that's 92.4 points per game shooting for the Cairns Taipans and 91 points per game, leaving their net difference at 1.4, which isn't bad at all. Let's look at the Wildcats now, and let's see how they've used their pace of gameplay to influence their productivity this season. The Wildcats score an average of 90.3 points per game, good for third least in the NBL. However, they concede only 86 points per night, which gives them a net difference of 4.3. So obviously topping Kansas' net difference of 1.4 and demonstrating just how well the Wildcats use the pace of their game to their benefit. So the second part of this analytical argument is turnovers. So one thing that clearly jumps out to me from an analytical perspective is the Wildcats' ability to look after the ball, as well as Kansas' inability to look after it. The Wildcats turn the ball over 10.7% of possessions, whilst forcing the opposition to turn the ball over 13.2% of possessions. A net difference of 2.5 there in the Wildcats' favour. Obviously, you want to get the ball out of the opposition's hands more than they get out of your hands. This is assisted by Perth's ability to strip the ball. And this is led by the league leader in steals, Bryce Cotton's active hands and his ability to read the gameplay. Perth steal the ball on 8.2% of possessions. Opposition players only stealing the ball from Perth on 6.5% of the time. So we're obviously the best in the league at protecting the rock as well. On the other side of this coin are the Taipans, and the Taipans turn the ball over 15% of their possessions. Perth, 6.5. Taipans, 15% of possessions, demonstrating their inability to protect the ball and provide help offensively. Their opponents only turn the ball over around 11.7%, meaning a negative net rating of negative 3.3%, which is killing the Snakes' productivity offensively this season. Not only this, but their 7.5% steal percentage is 0.7% worse than the Wildcats, which does surprise me considering the higher pace you tend to play the ball, the more turnovers you will generate on both sides of the ball. So the battle of the turnovers will be key in this playoff series. Machado has been susceptible to large turnover nights, and when the wheels come off, they don't really have that many guys who can stand up and control the ball. So analytically, I think that tips the scales 1-0 to zero to the Cats. That's, that's in my opinion. Obviously, the other side of this is if the Taipans can really protect the ball, maybe they can really swing the series. So depends how you look at it. Our second argument is the series argument. And in the series argument, we're going to look at the three times the Cats have matched up with the Taipans this season. Firstly, the Taipans took care of business against our Wildcats in the jungle handing us our first L of the season at home in NBL 20. I watched this one at the Shoe Bar, so shout out Shoe Bar. Great, great establishment there for the Red Army. Paul Higgins, Joe Higgins own that, and it's fantastic. But get there before and after games because it's a great little spot. The Taipans absolutely obliterating the Cats at home and sending an early warning shot to the NBL. So to beat the Cats at home is a tall order in itself, but destroying the Cats at home, that showed that the Snakes aren't to be taken lightly. So that was after game one. Secondly, the Taipans again defended home court by a score of 91 to 84. So the Cats being able to claw that slightly back, that huge margin. But still, Taipans defended home court. Thirdly, the Cats finally got that win over the Taipans in far north Queensland, winning the matchup 88-84 and helping avoid a series sweep for the Snakes. And had the Snakes won that game and it been 3-0, I don't know how the odds would have been for the sports betting companies because when you go 3-0 against a team in a season, it does things mentally to that team, which is just another hurdle they'd have to get over. So it's really good in that third contest. We did snake that final game, but it's the Snakes winning the series 2-1 and we can't allow that to be the score in this playoff runs. Otherwise, we are out. So that's the series argument I'm going to give to the Snakes. Obviously, two games to one. That's all theirs.
Thirdly, what I've done for you guys is I've gone a positional argument. So that's position versus position. So starting from the point guard, we have Scott Machado versus a combination of Mitch Norton and Damian Martin. So the people's MVP, Scott Machado, will have the offensive skill set to continually be able to counter Mitch and Damo's intense on-ball defense. After Scott dominated the Cats with 19 points in the jungle in our first matchup with them, he's been held to 17 points and 13 points on considerably worse shooting in the next two matchups. Mitch Norton himself dropping 13 points on 50% shooting in Game 2, forcing Scott to defend him down the other end of the court, which was interesting, I thought. However, Scott averages an awesome 10 assists per game against the Wildcats this season, obviously finding a way to generate offense that the Cans require. So no real surprise here, but I'm going to go this positional matchup, go on Scott Machado's way. Secondly, we have DJ Newbill v. Bryce Cotton at the shooting guard matchup. And this matchup is going to be key for who wins the series. It's the NBL 20 Defensive Player of the Year, DJ Newbill, taking on the NBL 20 MVP, Bryce Cotton. Watching both of these guys all season, it's obviously advantage Cotton. However, DJ is a problem and he has held Bryce to 38% shooting in Game 1, 20% shooting in Game 2, but he finally picked it up in that Game 3 win, shooting 24 points on 40% shooting. DJ Newbill is a phenomenal matchup for Bryce, and whoever can get the upper hand in this matchup will play a huge role in the outcome of the game. However, it's really hard not to throw your vote behind the NBL 20 League MVP. So point Bryce Cotton, 1-1, Cairns and Perth after the first two. Thirdly, we go to our small forward matchup of Kuatnoi and Tariko White. Tariko White's a finals MVP. Kuatnoi is a rookie. And I've given him mad raps, but he's a rookie. Now, from what I've just said there, it's pretty easy to see who has the resume to win the small forward matchup. However, Noy's had a great year, whereas Tariko's struggled a little bit this year, missing games through injury as well. So we should think about this matchup a little bit more. So let's look at the two of them this season. Tariko's averaged 17.3, Noy 11.5, so advantage Tariko. Tariko has shot the three well against the Snakes this season, and Noy has struggled a little bit from beyond the arc. Tariko knocking the long ball down at 41%, Noy at 32%. And just looking over the stats one more time, look, Noy's had a really good season, but I think the stage may be a little bit too big for him to overcome in this one. Tariko being cool as a cucumber. So to select Kuat in this one, would I think, would be a mistake. So advantage Tariko White in this one, 2-1 to Perth. Power forward matchup. That's Majok Deng v Nick K. Let's look at this matchup versus matchup. And against the Wildcats this year, Majok has averaged 15.3 points per game on 57% shooting from the field, 39% from three-point land, three rebounds per game, one assist, and a block. Against the Taipans this year, K has averaged 16.6 points per game on 51% shooting from the field, 51 from three-point land, 6.5 rebounds per game, almost four assists, 1.7 steals, and a block per game. So purely from a stat-wise perspective, these guys had very similar games when they when they match up on one another, which is interesting because they're completely different players. Majok has been more productive inside, whereas Nick K is killing the three-point bomb. However, Nick K averaged 32 minutes of game time. Majok only 23 minutes of game time. It's going to take a huge all-game effort for Majok to hold Nick accountable. As Nick has been there before and is a back-to-back NBL first-teamer, it's got to be Nick K, but don't be surprised if Majok brings game in this one. So that's 3-1 Wildcats, and I'll just touch on this Cam Oliver, Miles Plumlee. I'll humor the matchup at the center. So this matchup, I find it very interesting, and my reasoning is going to be all speculation as Miles is yet to play against the Taipans this season. What I will say is that Cam Oliver has been much more impressive than Plumlee offensively this season. However, what is obvious to me is that Miles brings the Cats championship caliber defense and inside pressure. Since Miles signed with the Wildcats, the best score against us has been from the Sydney Kings, in which they scored 100. The next highest score against us from the other six games that Miles has played in has been 79. So let's look at the other scores since Miles has been in there protecting the paint 77 against the Hawks, 71 against Southeast Melbourne, 
79 against the Breakers, 77 against Melbourne, 72 against the Bullets. Huge. So that's less than 80 points, which is really pretty insane. Miles only averages one block per game, but he influences a heap of shots inside the lane. His athleticism has these guards on notice as they're aware of their shots being altered by Miles when he's in there. So guys, keeping every team to less than 80 with Miles is not bad, right? But now for Cam Oliver, and he had my attention this year. And when he pulled that mean mug in the jungle after he killed off any chance of the Wildcats coming back, he had a fan in me, for sure. He dropped 22 points on 88% shooting in this one. Insane. He also had a game in which he dropped 21 points and 16 boards on us this year as well. So he is a problem. Or he may not be. If Miles is in the lane, Oliver goes in there thinking twice, maybe. When we played Cairns this season, we really did lack that big shot-blocking center. So watch out, Snakes. We now have one, and he's pretty handy. Unfortunately, I'm still going to go point Cam Oliver on this one, but that finishes the matchup on 3-2. Positional argument goes to the Cats. So for those following at home, we have analytical argument going to the Cats. We have the series arguments going to the Cairns Taipans, and we have the positional argument going to the Cats as well. And our final argument here is our experience or history argument. And when asked about the Wildcats' incredible history in the playoffs, Scott Machado was on record saying, I think the NBL needs a history change. So we're here to try and make something happen. I like that. This type of chat is awesome for our league. And Scott, I hope you guys bring it and we have a very entertaining series. However, this is the Cairns Taipans' first year back in the final since the 16-17 season. In that season... The Wildcats swept them in the semi-final and went on to win our eighth NBL championship. Another important note is that the Taipans have never won an NBL title. When you compare that information from that sentence to a franchise that's been there 34 straight seasons and won a league-leading nine titles, I think we know which team is going to need to answer all the questions. Another interesting thing to look at is how much finals experience the players in each of these series have played individually. You'd find it interesting to know, between the dangerous Cairns trio of Cam Oliver, Scott Machado and DJ Newbill, they only have one Danish league title. DJ Newbill being responsible for bringing that accolade to the trio for his efforts back in 2017. So as you can see, there's not a lot of finals experience with these guys. Well, it's definitely accentuated when you compare it to the Perth players and their playoff experience. Jesse Wagstaff and Damian Martin have been there every year of their careers with the Cats, helping them win five of their nine championship rings. Huge. This is in addition to not having one, but two grand final MVPs on the team in Bryce and Tarico. These guys know what to do when it comes to playoffs. So I think that the Cairns Taipans are going to be feeling the pinch in this series and it could halt their productivity as they overcome some early nerves. So if you're keeping score at home with the arguments, that's the Wildcats winning this one 3-1 to one, and obviously no bias at all. Don't know how that score ended up like that. Um, I didn't put these arguments together. They, just, they slid across my desk. I just read them out. But the Cats winning the analytical argument, the positional argument and the experience argument, the Snakes only managing to take the series argument having beaten the Cats two games to one this season, as I've said. Unfortunately for the Snakes, this isn't the regular season. This is the playoffs, and they are a different animal. I hope I've argued you all into some peace of mind that the Cats really should advance, in my opinion. What I do know is, is that we're going to need to be amazing this series, and I can't wait. I'll be there for game one. I'll be sitting in section 209 behind the hoop, so, so holler out at me. I'll be wearing my Bryce Cotton MVP red T-shirt. One little thing before we jump on, let's look at the odds. And let's look what the Book of Sports bet is saying about this. Well, we have the Wildcats favored in the opening matchup in the jungle, $1.40 to the Cairns Taipans, $2.96. Interesting considering that Cairns won the season Series 2-1 and pumped us by 20 points at home this season. However, from everything that we've spoken about to this point, you can see why we are the favorites in this one. 
The jungle is a scary place to play and it's even scarier come playoff time. So we're favored by six points, which I think is pretty fair amount in this one. I would have put the line slightly more towards the Wildcats potentially, purely because how hot we are defensively at the moment since the introduction of Miles Plumley. But my prediction is that I think the Wildcats sweep the series 2-0, touch wood. You can call it hopeful optimism, but I just believe that we have the complete team from 1-5 to this season, and the bench helps to aid the scoring if it dries up. I don't think Cam Oliver kills us with the introduction of Miles. I think that Tariko White dominates this Noi matchup. I think Bryce Cotton drops 20-plus points in every single matchup this series, and I don't think that they have an answer for NBL first team and Nick K. Cairns have had a fairy tale season, but the moment... The moment they step into RAC Arena for game one, that fairy tale season is going to turn into a nightmare. Perth in a sweep. Get your brooms out. Let's go, cats. Things I hear sometimes it's crunch time. Eating these wrappers up like lunchtime. My parents better watch the sky for when their sun shines. All right, guys, thank you so much for hanging around for this long in the podcast. I know it's been a super long one. Lots of information being thrown at you, but I've had a lot of fun swinging it to you. And. Because it's been all this analytics stats, been a bit dry, I'm going to finish off the podcast with running through some, some more numbers because I think you guys need more of that. But I'm going to put a little twist on it. And I'm going to give you guys a little headline which came across my screen for each of the teams and an associated stat for each of those teams. So you guys can see just how great we've been as fans this season and see just how much we've grown as well. So I'll go through each team. I'll give you a, a media outlet giving a headline in response to the stat as well. So let's kick this off. So the Cairns Taipans had 61,917 fans attend their games at Cairns Convention Center this year, a 2% increase on last season as they rose from the bottom. So first off the cuff, we have from the Cairns Post, nice and original, the Cairns Post. Anyway, in response to this stat, there's a headline from the Cairns Post, which reads, two is better than one. Cairns marketing department all smiles after bring your croc to the game campaign results in an increase in season attendance. Yeah, not bad, Sug. Okay, next, we have the Brisbane Bullets who had a 19% increase in crowd attendance with 55,297 fans attending their home games this season at Nissan Arena. So this headline is coming from Brisbane's own Courier Mail and they came up with this gem regarding the bullet season, completely glossing over the huge 19% increase in crowd attendance. Mustn't have mattered. Anyway, here's the headline. Out of the finals, the bullets rip. They couldn't handle the heat. Yeah, not bad. So we've got some Queen fans over there at the Courier Mail. So, all right, next. We had the Illawarra Hawks who enjoyed a 10% increase in crowd attendance with 48,124 fans attending Wynn Entertainment Center and the AIS Arena. So that was reported. We got the Illawarra Mercury, uh, sick name, really good name, with the headline in response to this one, which was, at least the world knows that we ball and ball with the capital. Very good. So despite the team experiencing the seventh best increase in attendance for the league this season, and despite sacrificing the season to the Lamello Ball Show, I thought that was very good by the Illawarra Mercury. Very clever Mercury. You do you, Illawarra. So props on the additional 10% increase. And we're going to move on to the Adelaide 36ers, who enjoyed a 19% increase in their attendance with 104,775 fans flocking to the new home venue of Adelaide Entertainment Center. So over 100,000 fans there in Adelaide watching a team that didn't make the playoffs this season, but it's a testament to those guys out there. I love that how much they love their basketball because it does remind me a lot of Perth. But the Adelaide advertiser went with this headline. It's so right, it's wrong. 
and Wright being spelt W-R-I-G-H-T. So, I assume that's in response to Joey Wright. And I'm going to derive some meaning from this. It's so right, it's wrong. Joey Wright, the 500-game coach for the 36ers. So, I'm assuming that it's got something to do with him. And there was a 19% increase heading in the right direction. However, people have been wanting Joey out of the job. So, that could make sense for this one. Um, So right, it's wrong. Fair enough. Moving on to the next guys. And they had a huge increase in attendance. And that was the New Zealand Breakers had a 37% increase in their crowd attendance with 81,638 fans attending their games in New Zealand. And it it was the New Zealand Mail who have come out with this headline and it was... Kiwi man says, I thought you said all blacks, not tall blacks after being tricked into going to the basketball for the fourth time this season. Look, hey, however you guys get them there, 37% increase is to be celebrated. You got to think it's got to have something to do with RJ Hampton being there. I love that dude. He's so damn likable. I have his jersey, actually. That's um, shout out to my brother for copying that for me for my birthday. Fantastic. Definitely worth that Looney Tunes New Zealand collab. I did talk about it earlier this season. Very fortunate to have it. So, Let's move on to our next team, which is the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. And they had the biggest attendance for a first-year team in NBL history, attracting 75,179 fans to their home games. And the Herald Suns reporter Gerald Tone wrote, 75,179 fans unanimously decide altogether they don't want to watch Melbourne United games anymore. So that one speaks for itself. We'll let that one fly there. We have... Hang along with me, guys. We do have three more teams to crack through. And... We have our Perth Wildcats. Congratulations, Red Army. Firstly, congratulations to everyone out there. We drew a huge 181,634 fans to the RAC Arena. A league-high average attendance of 12,974. Awesome job. Most by any team in NBL history. Huge, huge achievement. The West Australian ran the headline. Wildcats begin selling premium aisle seating to deal with the forever increasing support from the Perth public. So I really enjoyed that. Good job. Good job, West Australian and the geniuses there. So the Sydney Kings attracted 140,168 fans, which is which is over 40,000 less than the Wildcats themselves, to Kudos Bank Arena, an increase of 17%, including the biggest crowd in an NBL game ever of 17,514. The news headline is a fresh one from the Sydney Morning Herald. Which reads, which reads, NBL Commissioner Jeremy Lowliger forces 17,514 school children to attend Sydney Kings games to make Andrew Bogut feel important. So read from that what you will. But look, next, Melbourne United drew 117,349 fans to Melbourne Arena this season, including six sellout crowds of 10,300 people. That would be a sellout every single game at the at the jungle. So props to the Red Army one more time. And we have one little nifty one from Gerald at the Herald. So it reads, Hot Doggy, Melbourne United deconstructed hot dogs credited for six sellout crowds in NBL 20 season. Great job. So got to read more Gerald, evidently. But for real though, the fact they sold out six of their 14 home games stinks. It's a bit of a letdown for the league. A place like Melbourne should be pumping for basketball. So get out there and support your team and let's get this NBL rocking. One little thing, I do have four awesome stats before we finish the before we do finish the podcast. Four legitimately awesome stats for this league as a whole. I'm going to give them to you now because we as NBL supporters should be very excited about the growth that we're experiencing in this league. And the four stats, which I'm all excited to give to you, are right here, right now. And that's the total attendance for regular season increased by 21%. So total attendance up 21%. That's a huge increase in any industry you're in. Secondly, the average attendance has climbed by 8% for a fifth consecutive year of growth. The NBL is the only major summer sporting league to have an increased average attendance, which climbed 8% for a fifth consecutive year of growth. So that's a testament to the league, testament to you guys, testament to the product they're putting out. 
The third awesome stat, guys, is 866,082 fans attended games during the regular season, an average of 6,874 per game. This was up that 21% from last year's total attendance of 714,346. And with finals yet to be played, guys, it's looking like we're going to be topping that 900,000 fans this season, which is going to be a record on average attendance per game. And again, such, such, such a pat on the back to all of us out there who are watching the NBL, spreading the love of the game, listening, talking about it, because the game is growing and it's growing quickly and the stars are coming. Everyone's realizing the potential of this great league. But it's been so much fun at the Cool Cats Corner bringing this one to you. I'm all out of breath. Shouldn't have taken the week off because I've now lost my reps. But it's been a lot of fun. I'll catch you guys next week. And hopefully we're talking about a Perth Wildcats entry into the grand final. But let's go the Wildcats. Let's beat these Taipans. Let's get after it. It's the business end of the season. My name is Mason Delaire. This is the Cool Cats Corner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>